Welcome to Unapologetic, a podcast of Embrace Ministries, where we take a biblical approach to culture's difficult questions. Hey, welcome back to Unapologetic. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you had a very Merry Christmas. And anticipating a Happy New Year. That's right. Yes, we hope that too. So today is our bonus week, and we're going to talk about a question uh, that seems to come up a lot. I've heard a lot of debate around this topic, um, and it is about baptism. There's a lot of questions about baptism. And so do you as a pastor, Brother Andy, get a lot of questions about baptism? You know, I think that uh, in general, yes, not necessarily specific as a response from a person who's been recently born again and inquisitive of baptism. But just in in general, I think the Christian world has a lot of opinion on baptism and a lot of different takes on, you know, what is baptism and how can a person be baptized and all that. And of course, if you're a part of Embrace Church and you're listening to this podcast, you know that baptism is is a biblical truth that's taught through our discipleship process in lesson number three. And so the first is salvation. The second is eternal security. And then the third is baptism. So we try to hit it right off the bat to kind of define, you know, what is baptism? How does the church define baptism as far as the Bible? What does the Bible say? And how does the church say, okay, I I see that, I hear that, I I follow that. But baptism, you know, in a a very general sense, you know, you've got different denominations who who question, can can baptism be done by sprinkling? Can infants be baptized? All, All these things. I know we're going to get into that. But um, all these different things. So yeah, people come to me and ask about baptism, but but it's it's usually not in the overwhelming sense that I think we're going to discuss today. Yeah, so there's such an opinion among Christians about baptism that a lot of times, whenever denominations, people of different denominations, start to have discussions, a lot of the discussion is around baptism, mm-hmm. and you know, oh, we believe this or we believe that, we do this. And it's all about baptism. So, so many questions about baptism. The first question I want to ask is, does baptism get you into heaven? Yeah. And so <clears throat> there again, because it's such a, uh, a broad thing, uh, every Christian denomination, even, I don't know if you know this or not, but even some non-Christian religions practice some form of baptism. And it is a work-based um, thing for non-Christian religions, obviously, it's a work-based thing. But when you began to define salvation within the true sense of Christianity, what does the Bible teach? How does a person gain salvation? It is not of any work, right? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. It's no work, period. Um, your repentance is not of your works. It's by the goodness of God you're led to repentance, Romans 2, 4. Uh, it's not because you had some faith. He's dealt every man a measure of faith, Romans chapter 12. So so anything you have in response to God for salvation has been given to you by God originally. So it's not of work that you've done. So we can't say that baptism is, is a, a part of salvation. Now, you've got different denominations within the Christian realm. I know German Baptist, I know Church of Christ, I know certain Pentecostal groups uh, believe, according to Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and various verses of Scripture, but 
that one in particular, uh, to where they claim it says, you know, you have to be baptized to be saved. Um, well, I believe every born again follower of Jesus should desire to be baptized. And that's a good, healthy, wholesome thing. Um, I think you can't follow Jesus uh, without following him to the baptismal pool, right? The first thing that Jesus did in his open ministry was to be baptized, but Jesus didn't get baptized to get saved. It was not a part of his salvation. Uh, It was as an example for us, but baptism is a response to salvation, not an effort for salvation. I think uh, again, if we had if we had somebody sitting across the table from us that believed that baptism was a part of salvation, they would probably get into some more verses of scripture here and there that would probably plead their case. But there's so many different re- different references in the scripture that teach us otherwise. One, for instance, is and I've had this conversation with a guy who was a who was a German Baptist or or a Mennonite. Uh, I think it was a German Baptist. But um, the conversation was led to how do you, how's a person get saved, and he included baptism. In his conversion story, and I said, "Well, yeah. what about the the guy, the thief on the cross beside Jesus? He wasn't baptized." Well, he said, "We believe that he was baptized by John the Baptist." And so then I referenced back to the words of John that says that Jesus came with a different baptism, yeah, than John did. You know, John was baptizing in the River Jordan, immerse uh, in the water as as we believe it to be so. Uh, you even look in some Old Testament examples of, of Elisha and Naaman when Elisha told Naaman to go dip himself seven times in the in the river. And, you know, um, th- there there are shadows of baptism in the Old Testament. There are uh, different leading into the New Testament through John's baptism, I think a bridge of baptism, but by no means did it uh, supersede the baptism that Jesus taught and through his death, burial, and resurrection instructed his disciples to do in Matthew chapter 28 when he said, go either forward into the whole world and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, or right. Holy Ghost, depending on the translation you use. But it can't be it can't be salvation, Jesus plus anything for salvation. Right. It's got to be Jesus alone for salvation. Okay. So it's not your prayer that got you saved. It was not your faith that got you saved. It's none of that. It was it was the grace of God that decided to use the elements in which he gave you, which was faith and which was his goodness and grace to lead you to repentance. And you just responded as all you did. Right. You know? Okay. And so it's kind of like a person built you a house and gave you the keys. What do you do to have that house? Did you work for that house? No, you just opened your hand and received the keys. Right, right. That makes sense. So German Baptists argue that the thief on the cross was baptized prior mm-hmm. to receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. Mm-hmm. So that kind of leads me to the next question, which is about infant baptism. Does mm-hmm. that count in any way? Mm-hmm. I think to, to believe in infant baptism, you have to have a covenant theology. Um, by covenant theology, I'm talking about family-type covenant theology. We have covenant theology. We believe God's a God of covenants. Um, but you, most of the ones who do infant baptism are going to be Catholics, Methodist, Presbyterian, uh, Episcopal, uh, those groups do infant baptism, and they baptize an infant based on the fact that this child one day will give their life to Christ because they come from a family who is a family of faith, and they're going to lead this child to Christ eventually. And so it's presupposition, I think. You know, I, I think they're supposing that something's going to happen that it may not happen. But you got to think as well, if a person is of the Calvinistic view, you know, then they're hopefully baptizing a 
saved person. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so there's so much, so much craziness that can be wrapped around in all of that. I don't believe, I don't believe that um, infant baptism is biblical. Um, I think that it takes a lot of um, personal responsibility away from an individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think about the infant, they may hold on to a false profession just because, and I've heard this, I've had conversations with people several times that say, well, I was baptized as a, as a baby. Well, uh, Adrian Rogers, just kind of a shameless plug for him, yeah. but uh, he used to preach a message. He preached a message on um, getting your baptism on the right side of your salvation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, great message. It's probably on YouTube still. You can look it up. Uh, but he he uh, he explained that, you know, baptism is a step of faith after you've received Jesus as your Savior. It is a fruitful work that you do on this side of, of your life as a follower of Christ to be obedient to the Lord. And it's disconnected from your salvation as far as saving you. But a person who gets baptized and then truly gets saved, born again, should be rebaptized because they're getting their baptism on the right side of your, their salvation. So infant baptisms, I think, confuses a lot of people through, a, in my opinion, erroneous theology that, uh, you know, you're supposing this person will give their life to Christ. So what about sprinkling and, and baptism? Why is it such a debate? Don't they kind of symbolize the same thing? Mm-hmm. Well, the, you know, they get the idea, I say they, um, those who believe in sprinkling, get get their idea from sprinkling out of Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, also, there's some Old Testament passages to where the altar and the crowd was sprinkled with the blood of the sacrifice. And so there, there's an idea there, but nowhere will you directly find instruction from Christ or the apostles in the New Testament, which affirmed sprinkling. And so I have some friends who are in the Methodist congregation that um, believe it's no big deal. It's uh, it's just a, a ritual or formality. And so why go ahead? Why get completely, you know, why why get soaked in front of a bunch of people in water when you could just get sprinkled and wipe it off as you walk away and go back to your seat? Yeah. Um, but Jesus was immersed. The word baptize in the New Testament is the word baptismo. And it means to immerse. Two examples that I use a lot of times is, well, number one, we want to do exactly as Christ has told us to do to the to the nth degree, as as much as we we can know. You know, we don't want to be legalistic with anything, because Christ would teach us against legalism. But we want to hold fast to the ordinances that He gave us, and baptism is one of the two ordinances He give He's given us. Lord's Supper being one, and this being the other, and so in baptism. Um, when the Bible teaches baptismo, it means to fully immerse. And so I talk to people about you just had a great spaghetti meal. You set your plate on the counter. You go watch TV for a little while, and it's time to do the dishes, and you come back, and it's already started to crust on the plate. Yeah. Well, you just take a handful of water and sprinkle that plate, wipe it down, put it in the cabinet. How do you feel about that? Not Probably good. not. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be nasty, right? Leave it up there long enough, it's going to grow mold and all this kind of stuff. What do you have to do to get it clean? You put it in the in the water and you wash it off or you put it in the dishwasher where it's going to be immersed with water and you wash it's, it's clean, right? Mm-hmm. And and then then see that is the representation of what the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus did. It didn't just spot clean you, he wholly cleaned you. 
And so there is the immersion. Remember in John chapter 13, Jesus is washing of the disciples' feet and he comes to Peter and Peter says, don't wash just my feet, but wash all of me. You know, that was a, that was a thought leading to, I need to be wholly cleansed, right. you know? And so again, cleaning the disciples' feet was an act of service and it was a one-time thing and they'd need to be cleaned again. Baptism is a symbolic expression of what happens spiritually when you receive Christ and you're letting everybody know. Another thing I tell people in illustration is, you know, just to say uh, you, your loved one dies, you're going to bury them. You dig a six-foot hole, there's a pile of dirt to the side. You take one shovel and throw on there and say, well, they're buried, and you walk away. Well, they're not buried with one shovel of dirt. They have to come out, and they have to put all of the dirt and pack it, and you know they're, they're right. covering the grave. That's immersion. Mm-hmm. So, so baptism is, is a complete immersion. That's one of the reasons we, we don't take it lightly, mm-hmm. but uh, we, we take it very seriously that we want to follow the steps of Jesus in that. What about the statement that I hear all the time whenever people are getting baptized that says, I baptize you, my brother or sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in newness of life. What is, what's so special about that? Why is that? Why do I hear that over and over again? Yeah. The only thing in the scripture that, that specifically says, say this or do this is being baptized, according to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, again, sometimes we get a little twisted on what version we use. Sometimes it says the Holy Ghost. I use the King James, it says the Holy Ghost. And so I think sometimes those words are interchangeable. Um, in, in the book of Acts, they baptize them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what about the name? Some people get confused on I don't know if that's going to be a question you're going to ask here soon, but the, some people say, well, you've got to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> well, if you understand who God is, you understand that those are somewhat interchangeable as well. I've never freaked out on, oh, no, what should I do? I've baptized people per the request, one or the other, you know. Um, but if nobody, if, if I'm not requested anything, I just say in the name of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is actually a reference to Father, Son, and Spirit. God was known as Lord in the Old Testament, known as Jesus in the Gospels, and known as the Christ, the Messiah, anointed one uh, through the Holy Spirit and in, in acts on to revelation so it's not a problem for me uh to to baptize somebody in the name of the lord jesus christ um now the second part of that basically what you're doing when you baptize somebody in that manner is is you're putting those names together right are, are those not names but those two bible verses together roman uh romans chapter 6 verse 4 is the second half of that matthew chapter 28 verse um Verse 19 and 20 is the first half of that. So I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in the likeness of his death, raised in the newness of life. That that second part is just another verse. And and that's not necessarily commanded. It's something that I've heard. I've heard preachers say so many different things in that part. You know, I've heard guys say, uh, you've died to yourself and you live for Christ. Um, you know, okay. no longer do you live for you. Now you've surrendered your life to Jesus. There's so many different things. So it's not yeah. necessarily something that has to be said. So moving on a little bit from like a traditional sense of, of baptism up in front of the church and all that kind of stuff. Um, in Luke chapter three, verse 16, Jesus talks about baptism uh, in the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So again, because the word baptism uh, is the word uh, immerse, um, not only is it that uh, do you, are you immersed in water, you're baptized in water, uh, fully surrounded, totally immersed. Uh, when Jesus was talking about baptism from the Holy Spirit, it was the promise of the Holy Spirit to come who would baptize a believer by not just coming over that individual, but living inside of that individual. So both the internal, external um, saturation of an individual by the Holy Spirit. So uh, there's several things that, you know, Matthew chapter 3, whenever John's preaching, he said, here comes one who's going to baptize you in fire and the Holy Ghost, you know, uh, consuming uh, type power. In, in the Old Testament, there was oftentimes movements of the Holy Spirit over people like David and Saul and Samson. Uh, occasionally, you would see where the Holy Spirit was referenced to be in an individual, but only for a certain time. Um, not for from that point on, but in the New Testament, you see where the Holy Spirit at the immediate moment of being born again, a person is born again, they receive the Holy Spirit in his fullness, and they're able to live out the Holy Spirit through fruits of the Spirit and a righteous living life, convicted by him and moved and challenged by him, walking in his Spirit. Um, for the rest of his life. We're sealed by the Spirit unto the day of redemption, Ephesians 1, 13. So um, whenever he referenced baptized by the Spirit, you're going to be completely immersed. And what happened in Acts chapter 2? They were completely immersed by the Holy Spirit. Now, through the book of Acts, you got to remember the book of Acts is a transitional book as well. Um, it bridges the age of, of the Gospels to the age of grace, which is the church age now. And so there were even moments to where people didn't understand the fullness of the gospel, to where people would go and preach like Paul would go and preach or Peter would go and preach. And as he proclaimed the truth, the Holy Spirit would fall on people. And the expression of that was they would begin to share the gospel in, in different languages, right? They would speak with tongues. And so that was the expression in that moment that they had been saved. One of the greater marks of a person being saved in the book of Acts was that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they preached the gospel in another language. Now, that was for the catapulting of the gospel into the world. And then later Paul had to write to the church at Corinth, kind of clarify, you know, the gospel being preached in another language, tongues, um, you know, as far as the as far as the uh, external use of the gift of tongues. Uh, he says, you know, that's, you know, not everybody gets that. Some people do get that. Don't be challenged by somebody has it when you don't have it. You just live out the gift God's given you. So I know that's kind of blending a couple of things, but there it is. Awesome. So last question I have comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 29, where um, baptism of the dead is mentioned. And so that's kind of a, a crazy statement, baptism of the dead. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, baptism of the dead is a pretty confusing thought there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I believe in verse 39, 29, 29, 29. And so let me, let me just read that real quick. Um, it says, uh, otherwise, what shall they do who are baptized for the dead? The dead not rise at all. Why then are they baptized in their behalf? There's, there's a lot of different commentaries that will give you a lot of different options, but Bible commentaries for the most part themselves are somewhat puzzled at why this says what it says and how it says it. 
Um, if you go to more of an exegetical sense to it, you have to look at the word for, which is hypero, and it can mean above or over. Uh, does that clarify it any? Well, maybe maybe it does for some. Maybe it doesn't for others. Um, there was you got to remember there was a lot of weird culture things that was happening in Corinth, and so one of the things that I personally believe that was happening was they were getting uh, they were they were thinking about people who they loved who had died and they wanted to be baptized for those who were dead, uh, which is actually a, a doctrine that Mormons. Church of Latter-day Saints believe they actually have a time in which you can be baptized for your dead loved ones, and that can be a work on your behalf to be saved and maybe something good for them to be saved. So they kind of take this out of, out of context as well. But the church in Corinth was was doing this with the hopes that hey maybe maybe this will help the individual uh, th- there's a lot of there's a lot of skepticism on that because obviously that's a work based thing and once a person dies then there's no way that they can be saved after they die if if a person can be saved after they die i assure you everybody who died got saved yeah yeah <laughs> cuz it ain't going to take you long to say whoop i believe you know what i'm saying right so um so this this I think this is a wordage issue. I think Paul is, I think actually Paul is confronting some things with some sarcasm as well. Um, I think Paul took a good lesson from Jesus on how to how to respond to certain idioticies in, in people's minds. One of the key things that I think really pounds it here is I think people were being baptized for their dead loved ones with the hope that they would be made right. But Paul's not saying. Why are y'all doing this? Or, or why aren't y'all doing this? I think he's saying, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And he's not saying you, by the way. He says, he says they. And, and he says, else what shall they do which you're baptized for? Not what you do. Anytime he has an issue with the Corinthians, he says you. Right. He doesn't say they. So this is not an inside the church. This is an outside the church. This ain't, These people got so far jacked up, they don't know what they're doing. And so, and, and two, you can, looking in the commentaries, and I just read a couple of them before we even got started, just to kind of refresh a little bit, um, something I didn't know. One of the commentaries said that some of the believers were baptized over the graves of martyrs for some superstitious kind of thing. And yeah. and some, whenever whenever a, a person would die, if they were a, a deathbed convert, they would, they would die. And after the person had physically died, before they buried them, they just go ahead and baptize them and then, wow. and then bury them. So, you know, even early church fathers were rebuking that. Right. Like, no, nah, y'all don't need to do that. But but two, again, and this is just another personal opinion, in the flow of all of this, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 talks about resurrection. It, it talks about the physical body expiring and being put in the ground. It talks about receiving a new incorruptible body and all these things. So I think that whenever it talks about being baptized for the dead, I think he's saying you guys don't have to do that because, number one, they're going to get a new body if they are saved. And right. if they are saved, they're saved without the act of baptism. So that's, again, my personal personal view on that. It's kind of muddy, and, and I know it is, Uh that's one of those passages of scripture you just got to pray through and read on a lot. We addressed a hard to understand passage on our first podcast, 
uh, or maybe our second pod. I think it was our second podcast, mm-hmm. Hebrews chapter six, verse four through six. That's right. And uh, this is kind of one of those, maybe a little bit even further along, because this is the only time in the scripture that this is mentioned, and this is a very cloudy without the construction of of culture behind it to understand. So I don't. So I don't suggest anybody getting baptized for Grandma Susie who didn't believe in Jesus. Thank you for joining us today on Unapologetic, a podcast of Embrace Ministries. We hope we have answered some of culture's difficult questions using the Bible, God's Word. Please help us get the word out about this new podcast. If you have any questions, feel free to call us at 601-469-2680, or you can email us at embrace.church at yahoo.com.